0: You're listening to The Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics.
1: And welcome to another edition of The Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead at all things on politics and government in North Carolina. I'm Andy Kurlis with The News and Observer. Thank you for joining us. Enjoyed the week off. Uh, Glad to be back. A busy week. And we have a good show for you. Uh, Let's jump right into it. We've got uh, Patrick Gannon with The Insider and Colin Campbell with The News and Observer. We'll hear later from Benjamin Brown of The Insider. Lynn Bonner of The News and Observer is also here. Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, one of the big uh, newsmakers of the week was, of course, the governor, Pat McCrory and uh, there were lawsuits and veto threats and other such things. Let's talk about that. Uh, Colin Campbell, of course, the life of a governor, is uh, one week you're up, and, well, how was the governor this week?
2: Well, this is probably not his, uh, his best week of the month. Uh, between uh, criticism from his own party, uh, hearing uh, back and forth with the veto threat, and, and various other things he also in a public records lawsuit. So it's, a, it's quite a, a long list of things that perhaps was not what he wanted to see his name in the headlines for this week.
1: And so uh, what, tell us about, uh, the, take us through what happened uh, that, that ultimately caused him to issue that threat of a veto and how was that a problem for the governor?
2: So this was the sales tax uh, distribution bill. This is favored by Senate Majority Leader Harry Brown. It's part of the Senate budget, and that's the plan that would uh, essentially shift sales tax revenues from uh, the counties where the sales occur, typically urban, to a more population-based, which favors rural counties that don't have a whole lot of uh, retail shopping opportunities. Uh, so Harry Brown had a big press conference this week, uh, brought in, you know, probably Eighty to a hundred different county leaders from across the state who are in these rural counties who would benefit, and they were meeting the press about uh, why they thought that was necessary for their counties. So McCrory responds by issuing a veto threat, not only for the sales tax bill itself, but for the entire state budget should the budget compromise between the House and the Senate include this particular provision. So that set off this back and forth uh, between him and Senator Senate Majority Leader Harry Brown. Brown calling him by his first name, Pat, in a press release, which you don't see very often, uh, as well as saying he didn't know whether he's the mayor of Charlotte or, or the uh, governor of Charlotte or the mayor of North Carolina was, I think, the quote, which is basically calling out the governor for suggesting that the urban Charlotte-level interest are, in Brown's mind— uh, more important to the Governor than these rural counties that Brown feels like really needs this extra revenue boost,
1: and the Governor of course then uh, you know sort of ramped up and that's that prompted then his uh, veto th- uh, uh, basically he said he would veto that issue no matter what form it shows up
2: yeah it was it was first it was just referring rever- to the original bill for the sales tax distribution later in the day, his spokesman comes out and says no he's he will veto the entire budget if it's in there, so that's really throwing down the gauntlet to the legislators saying, you know, this process has already dragged out for a while and it's maybe a while before we even get a compromise but if the compromise includes this I'm forcing you back to square one or at least to square one or at least to a, a veto override.
1: Uh, yeah, and the governor to be fair, he's been making those uh, noises about that issue for quite a while although we hadn't heard the word veto. Uh Patrick Gannon uh so that wasn't the only thing where the governor was in the headlines uh he also was on the receiving end of a lawsuit tell us about
3: that yeah kind of uh added insult to injury for the governor um early in the week uh a group of media companies as well as a couple of uh advocacy groups the uh southern environmental law center north carolina policy watch I joined with Charlotte Observer, the News and Observer, Capital Broadcasting, which is the parent company of WRAL, as well as a number of other media organizations to to, uh, file a lawsuit in Wake County alleging that uh, the governor and his administration have repeatedly uh, ignored uh, public records requests, taken uh, um, a long, long time, more than a year, in a number of cases to fill the records requests and also have, char- have attempted to charge uh, kind of inordinate uh, amounts of money to, to fulfill them. Um, so all these groups filed a lawsuit. The governor responded pretty quickly afterward saying um, that these media companies are exploiting, uh, this came from a press release, exploiting the public records laws and filing overly broad and duplicative records requests. Um, his, his press release said his, his administration has been asked to fill fulfill some something around something or somewhere around twenty two thousand uh, records requests uh, so far um, and he said the lawsuit kind of like uh, all the records requests are just an attempt to to tie up people in his administration and and state personnel and keep them from doing their jobs
1: essentially called it ridiculous. He did. Yeah, he did. He did.
3: And, and, and there are probably some records requests that are ridiculous. I mean, I've been, always been taught as a journalist that that fishing expeditions are not appropriate. You know, you need to kind of have a, have a sense of, of, um, kind of what you're looking for and then go look for it uh, on a, you know, uh, kind of detailed basis as opposed to just filing an overly broad, you know, um, wild goose chase kind of, kind of thing. Um, And that's kind of where the governor came from in his press release, I think.
1: Yeah. And of course, he was in the midst of this exchange in an exchange with the Charlotte Observer editorial board. There was a letter he wrote. Um, uh, So the governor uh, has always uh, had an interest in the media and had a relationship with the media that runs uh, probably more on the cool side. uh, It's fair to say.
3: Um, definitely, definitely. There have been a lot of instances in his administration where he's gotten into gotten into it with the media. The Associated Press had a well-documented tiff with him over the coal ash uh, issue, uh, and there, there are plenty others.
1: So that'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. Of course, uh, it also prompted the editor, executive editor of the News and Observer began tweeting uh, uh, on that issue as there was criticism about... Uh, The News and Observer and others being in in, a shared plaintiff uh, situation with some advocacy groups. The NC Justice Center is a part of that lawsuit. And, of course, the editor of the News and Observer pointing out the paper in the past has teamed up with conservative groups, uh, the John Locke Foundation, uh, namely, in records lawsuits against uh, previous governors, including uh, uh, Mike Easley, a very high-profile lawsuit that made a lot of news. But we'll leave that for another time if— Uh, So let's take a break, and uh, we'll be back and uh, talk a little bit about some big education news of the week.
4: Have you checked out the newly designed News and Observer this week? You'll see changes that make all of our products more visually appealing while giving you in-depth coverage and new ways of storytelling. Visit new.newsobserver.com to learn more about the new ways for your news day. As a listener to the Domecast, we have a special offer for you. You can receive the News and Observer Digital Edition for only 99 cents for four weeks. This includes unlimited access to NewsObserver.com, mobile, iPad apps, and the print replica e-edition. Just head over to NewsObserver.com, click subscribe at the top of the page, and enter the promo code DOMECAST to receive this special offer.
1: And welcome back to the Domecast. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We thank you for listening. We've been talking about uh, the week that was for Governor Pat McCrory, but of course that wasn't the only thing that happened. Big news on the education front toward the end of the week, a decision, a, a, a an anticipated decision on the uh, issue of vouchers, opportunity scholarships, if you will, uh, f- that allow... Uh, students to attend private schools and we're joined by Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer and Benjamin Brown of the insider will let's let's tackle this uh, Supreme Court decision Lynn Bonner uh so it it was not a unanimous decision
4: oh no, uh, it was definitely split it was four or three along party lines over whether uh, vouchers are constitutional and whether you know public money can be spent on private religious education majority um uh, on the court, and the Republicans it said yes. So that means that thousands more kids whose parents meet income guidelines can take their children from public schools and send them to private and religious schools. And the vouchers now provide um, $4,200 a year uh, for that purpose.
1: And it is for lower income. There is an income there threshold. Is, there is
4: an income threshold. That threshold is scheduled to go up, though, Um so, so there, there are income to guidelines, and
1: this, of course, prompted a wide ranging reaction uh, across the spectrum. Uh, I think one of them I uh, saw it would have been a public school advocacy group said it's the end of public education as we know it, or something along well, those lines.
4: It, well, not quite. I mean, there's still going to be public schools, but it does mark a sea change in, uh, and a much different look at um, education in North Carolina and where taxpayer money is going. I mean, we have um, vouchers now for, you know, as many as 4,400 kids. Um, There's a move in the legislature to increase the um, next year, the amount of money going to vouchers. Uh, We're going to have online charter schools opening. And um, a lot of people are raising the question um, specifically with... Um, vouchers and the schools that get them. Well, how do we know about the quality of the education? Um, the, the schools are required to test, but there won't be, um, any public knowledge of how the kids did on the tests unless there's, there are a certain number of children enrolled in a school using vouchers. So, um, a lot of, much of what's going to happen, um, f- for individual kids. Going to private and um, church goals um, will be unknown.
1: Interesting, um, and of course, as 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 we uh, record this, which is Friday, there is a celebration among the um, advocates of the vouchers, uh, who are extremely pleased, saying that uh, they just want the opportunity of a choice. Right. You know, in, exactly. the, in the system.
4: Yeah. A lot of the parents were saying uh, who wanted this said, you know, um, we heard from kids who said they were being bullied in their school or they weren't challenged um, and they wanted to move um, to, you know, a, a private or church school. Uh,
1: Benjamin Brown of The Insider, of course, uh, that was a, a really a big topic, but there was another sort of related mm-hmm. issue on the education front relating to charter schools. Right. Uh Bring us up to speed on, uh, there were some developments there.
0: Yeah, th- there was a bill passed in the Senate on Thursday that would change how the state oversees charter schools, and it followed a, a pretty interesting debate, especially at the committee level, where the, the senator presenting the bill didn't want to get into the fine details of why the, the, the proposal existed. Um, Real quick, it would uh, take the, the state office of charter schools away from the Department of Public Instruction and instead put it under the uh, state school board, whose members are appointed. Um, with that, the bill would also transfer about $1 million away from DPI to the school board's office to administer this. And this language came up as a committee substitute uh, for the bill. So it wasn't the original language that the House passed. Um, it essentially became a different bill at the Senate, Senate committee level. And when Senator Josh Stein said, you know, like, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Uh, Senator Jerry Tillman, who presented the bill, was he was evasive. Uh, Stein's actual question was to the tune of, you know, what has DPI done wrong to lose the office of charter schools? And Tillman said, I'm not going to give you the details. A good lawyer would never do that in public. And Stein said, well, wait a minute, I thought that's what we did here in committee. We talked the, the who, the what, the when, the where, the why of bills. And Tillman said, sorry, not going to say. And his actual quote was, uh, we don't air dirty laundry here. Uh, but he did hint, you know, w- what we already kind of heard plenty of times in conversation, and that's that DPI and charter schools don't get along, that charters are seen, you know, by, by some people as the bad guy, the enemy of public schools and all that, um, and that under DPI, they just haven't gotten fair treatment. Uh, that's the perception anyway, and Tillman said it's time to remove the impediments and let charter schools do their thing. The um, thing to point out is that DPI and the state school board are, are linked. Uh, DPI is the administrative arm. So uh, school superintendent June Atkinson replied to my story saying that, you know, moving the charter school oversight from DPI to the state, to the state school board is like uh, changing your mailing address while staying in the same house. That was her quote. And she thinks it's just going to make it more complicated for DPI to offer services to charter schools because I think if DPI is called upon um to to help out in some way, then DPI will still help charter schools with certain issues.
1: So that's gonna be one that bears watching. It's uh it does leave this sort of mysterious uh thing there, right?
0: Yeah, and it still has to go back to the House for concurrence because mm-hmm. of the Senate's changes. So
1: it's not settled and we'll have to see how that plays out. Correct. Now of course all of this was going on as uh in Wake County a uh, judge, uh Howard Manning was uh, conducting a hearing. Uh, Lynn Bonner, uh, bring us up to speed on uh, this would be the long-running, what's called the Leandro case, and we uh, had some developments in that uh, uh, as Howard Manning was presiding in in what you reported uh, was one of his last uh, uh, hearings before he officially retires, though the education part of it,
4: He's not retiring from. He's gonna, he's gonna keep with that. Um, he's been at it now, uh, 18 years with this case known as Leandro. And, uh, he's gonna keep that case, um, after retirement. But, uh, some interesting developments, um, here. He was, um, he had ordered, uh, the State Board of Education to come up with a plan, uh, for, to have the state meet its constitutional requirement to provide, uh, sound basic education to all students. Um, And the lawyers for the school boards, the plaintiffs, said, well, what they produced really isn't a plan. So there was a lot of back and forth over that over the last three days with the uh, DPI employees providing some details of, of what they do provide. But with the former State Board of Ed chairman coming back to say, no, we're near... We're not doing nearly enough, and um, the state is not meeting its constitutional obligations. So, Manning's going to decide, um, you know, whether the state produced a plan that it, it can carry out. Um, uh, the lawyers for the plaintiffs have asked him to go back and order the state board to work with the legislature and the executive branch, others in the executive branch, to come up with a, a plan, uh, a detailed plan of action
1: now uh and and howard uh judge howard manning hasn't been shy from uh speaking bluntly no, on no. this some t- of the t-
4: some of the best things about it covering these hearings that can go on and on as you know is waiting for uh judge manning to uh speak up speak his mind about what he thinks of uh what's going on in public schools you know he's um well known for the phrase uh, academic genocide from about a decade ago talking about um some high schools uh, with low-performing students this time around we got the phrase uh, academic rot in the cities and also his view on how some school boards aren't doing their job and he'd like to take them over
1: and so at some point there'll be uh, some kind of a ruling that comes out of this
4: there's expected to be an order out of this
1: and of course we'll cover that let's take a break and we'll be back with our headliners of the week The crime dog? Yep. I think I'm going to need your help. I've got an internet bully.
2: Okay, well,
1: what you do is... Maybe
0: you could put a virus on her computer. Or a tracking device. Or a bug.
1: You don't have to do that, are you? Or
0: maybe we could get an attack dog. You ever see those attack dogs that can, like, rip a person's arm off? Seriously. Um, or like a SWAT team. A cyber SWAT team or something. Or like an army. Did you ever see that zombie army movie? We should get a zombie army. Wait,
2: wait, wait. All you need to do to stop an internet bully is delete their messages and never forward them on.
1: So, no no zombies?
3: No zombies. Bummer. Delete cyberbullying. Don't write it, don't forward it. For more information, visit ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, Crime Prevention Coalition of America, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council.
1: And we're back on the Domecast. We thank you for listening, and we like to end things with a segment we call Headliners of the Week or Uh, guest hosts sometimes call newsmakers of the week Uh, (laughs) I was listening Uh, so uh, uh, anyway uh, we we have each of our panelists will nominate and argue for someone and then we'll have some fun and and see who, who who it is. They get 45 seconds. And let's start with Benjamin Brown of The Insider. Tell us, who is your headliner of the week? Uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, she held a
0: private fundraiser in Raleigh this week. Uh, Wednesday, I think, it was uh, 2700 bucks per person, at least as far as a uh, suggested donation goes. Uh, first visit to North Carolina on the campaign trail. As far as I know, there, there might be another one off my radar, but it was characterized as the first. Um and the GOP capitalized on that by saying that, you know, her first visit in North Carolina wasn't about meeting with the people of the state. It was about raising money and on and on. So sort of a
1: quick flash of fire. I'll go with Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, a headliner of the week. Of course, um, uh, Scott Walker, Governor Scott Walker, was also due in town uh, over, over the weekend. Originally, I think, in uh, Cameron Village. That's right. That's right. At the Chick-fil-A. Then... Uh, switch to, uh, let's uh, yeah, say, a, more, a, a, a less chain uh, location, uh, but then he canceled at the end of the week. And we're going to start to see a lot of these uh, presidential candidates um, uh, trying to hopefully uh, make news here. Not like Donald Trump, though. Um, so, okay, Hillary Clinton, a headliner of the week. Uh, Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer, tell us, who is your headliner of the week?
4: I'm going to go with uh, Judge Howard Manning retiring at the end of the month and, as I said, uh, a long time uh, riding her over the state and uh, how it's doing educating uh, the children of the state. Um, although he's retiring, as I said, he's keeping this case, but still, uh, to commemorate his uh, tenacity and, and long service um, over this case, Leandro case, I'm going to nominate uh, Judge Manning.
1: Judge Howard Manning, who is retiring, uh, forced into retirement, uh, age 72. Uh, Okay, we'll throw him in the hat. And let's see, Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. Colin Campbell, tell us who is your headliner of the week.
2: Well, I'm going to pick Uber, or more specifically, it's a crack team of lobbyists that have been in North Carolina in recent months. This is a company that basically has gotten to write its own regulations. North Carolina hadn't had regulations for companies like Uber, where you use an app to connect with a driver who's not really a licensed taxi driver, but will take you where you need to go for a fee that's often less than a taxi cab. Uh, they got to Pick their regulations in a way that pretty much matches up with what they're already doing in the state in terms of having insurance for their drivers, in terms of background checks, uh, and that law cleared the a bill cleared the Senate this week. It's now headed to the House, uh, so ultimately they will most likely be getting what they want uh, in order to have the regulations in place in the state that uh, give them a little bit of a leg up over traditional taxis.
1: <laughs> Uber, and I guess we should throw in Lyft.
2: Lyft as well is, the, or the, I guess, the secondary yeah, yeah. competitor. Uber, of yeah, course, yeah. leading the industry, yeah. uh, and, and all this backed by Senator Floyd McKissick over in Durham. A, yeah. a rare legislative win for a Democrat uh, hedging, getting a bill mm. through uh, the Senate.
1: Uh, Floyd McKissick, of course, an old veteran of local politics. He was the chairman of the Taxicab Commission in Durham for many years, Floyd McKissick shepherding through a a non-taxi uh, bill, a ride-hailing bill. So we'll throw we'll call it the Uber as headliner of the week. And let's go now to Patrick Gannon of The Insider. Tell us, who is your headliner of the week?
3: Uh, sticking with the lobbying theme, I'm going to go with uh, Mike Carpenter and the lobbying team for the uh, North Carolina Home Builders Association, which uh, is a powerful force in Raleigh and is pushing a bill through the General Assembly to exempt builder's inventory from city and pro- city and county property taxes. In other words, if a residential builder buys a property and builds a house or makes other improvements to it, the value of those improvements won't be taxed for uh, up to three years. Uh, there's a commercial building component as well that's a little different from the residential exemption. Uh, the bill made it through the Senate Finance Committee this week, which and the Senate uh, Finance Committee usually opposes exemptions to favored businesses. But in this case, uh, did not, and there wasn't that much criticism about it. So this was a big success for uh, Mike Carpenter and the and the home builders. Still has a way to go, though, the bill.
1: Still has a way to go, but wow, uh, uh, a substantial tax break for the the uh, home building industry
3: um, on essentially spec homes, right? They exactly, build. and, I, and no, I didn't hear a single person say, "What about existing homes? If they're if they build all these, build a whole bunch of new homes and add to the inventory, that's not going to help." people trying to sell their homes Mm -hmm.
1: interesting so uh mike carpenter a big uh, win in a key committee and we'll be watching that one of course so this is the moment we'll decide who is the headliner of the week and i think uh i'm I'm sort of partial to the mike carpenter one and and uber we got some lobbying wins but uh a, a week like this and a stature like judge manning uh, I think I will say that uh, Howard Manning is our headliner of the week. And I'll tell you what we'll do. we will um, He was uh, a Tar Heel of the Year, I believe, about a decade ago. And we will find that and throw that up on Dome over the weekend. And if you really want to read the full story on Howard Manning, you can find it at newsobserver.com. Uh, at the Under the Dome spot. So we'll leave leave it at that, and we thank you for listening, and we will see you soon.
0: You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at Newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at NCInsider.com.